Good morning. I truly do not know if the Lord wants this live or just for us, you know, for Ignition here in Nigeria. I just don't know. So whatever you guys have started, just stick with it. (laughs) We'll go from there. I don't know. That song... It reminds me, now that that song's from, where's Brooke? Is that from Psalm 91? You, you guys know? It is, right? Yeah. It reminds me of, what'd you say? My life verse? A life force? No, 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 what she read at the end. Okay. Somebody remind me never to ask Isaac anything ever again. (laughs) No, I no, I know the I know the song. Yeah, the the song. I was talking about what she read at the end. Um, The song is it's interesting because it's about Psalm 23, which is also interesting because Lord gave me that separately. Um, But it's also about. A verse that is my life verse. I know I've shared it before, but as a as a good Baptist growing up, I reached the age of ten only to realize I did not have a life verse yet. And my life is really going wrong if I don't have a life verse. And so I and and this was sincere in my heart, by the way. So I really prayed, huh? I wasn't a Baptist then. Listen to my mother telling me who I am. Okay. All right. All I know is by the time I got to high school, that was, that was Baptist. That was Baptist and we were Baptists and I was going to a Baptist school and I was baptized. Well, I, actually I wasn't baptized as a Baptist. Yeah. So I was partially baptized. I'm kidding. But. Truly, I, I just started asking the Lord I, in, in my prayer as, as a young person, just, God, I, I want a verse that I could just claim as mine. You know, something that, that just will mean something to me my whole life. Just show me. And I, I don't know, it might have been a few months later, and he showed me Psalm 27, 4, and it was like, boom. That's it. And it's been my life verse ever since. I absolutely adore it. It is really the cry of my heart. One thing have I desired of the Lord. And this good old King James, sorry. That will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord. And to inquire in His temple. See, what David was saying there is, God, my whole life, I just want to be with you. If I can have that proximity to you, then everything else is okay. I find it interesting because David led, let's just say, an interesting life. 
Before we get into that, let's pray. Father, we worship you, we praise you, we trust you. Lord, I trust you to fill my mouth with what you want. With what you need your people to hear. I give you my mouth. I give you my will. I give you my mind. I give you my hands, my feet. Do with them what you will, but speak to us because we're hungry. We desire you. And we trust you as you take us in to these uncharted places. The only light that we can see is you. But truthfully, Lord, you're the only light we need to see. Just like you said to Peter when he stepped out of the boat and started to sink as his faith failed. He said, keep your eyes on me. Keep your eyes on me. You'll be okay. Lord, keep our eyes on you. We love you and praise you and thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. So David was an interesting guy because, truthfully, and I, I know we, we talk about all of who he was. You know, he, is, he was Israel's first king that was chosen by God, right? He was God's will for Israel, and what he did in his life was insanely amazing. I mean, at a very young age, probably younger than when here, if, if a young person gets to drive. So he couldn't drive yet, but he could kill a giant, right? Things started with him even long before that. Taking care of sheep, killing a bear, killing a lion. I'm not sure which one I'd be afraid of more. I mean, think about that. Have you ever really thought of that? And David wasn't a big guy. He's a small guy. If you didn't realize that, you just have to look at the statues. I'm sure they're all accurate. He was a small guy. And yet, if you've ever seen a big bear... If you've ever seen a big lion, that would be pretty terrifying, I would think. And yet, he conquered all these things. He conquered Goliath, not only in defense, because it wasn't defense at all. Do you recognize that he went on offense with Goliath? It wasn't Goliath coming after him, so he's going to defend himself and defend his home. Right? It was that he went after Goliath. Why? Because Goliath offended his God and offended his nation. He went after him. When he became king, he, you know, even before he was king, it was said that trying to think of the exact words about Solomon killing his thousands and David killing his ten thousands, right? It was like success, especially on the battlefield, was a part of his DNA. 
He had tremendous success as a king, lived a long life. But yet, do you know if he ran in American politics today, he would have been shunned way worse than some of the ones that we like, like Donald Trump. Think about it, really. Cheated on his wife, had multiple wives, which that wouldn't have gone over today that well. Killed somebody for his wife. I mean, and this wasn't in secret. Like, this became known. Nathan confronted him. It was known by the whole nation. And yet, God called him a man after my own heart. I, I got to tell you, that, that is something that's hard to compute. It really is. Because when you think of circumstances, you think of that's how God judges what's going on. But no. Praise God, He looks at the heart. Now, I've been talking to the Lord a lot lately about what that, what that means. What, what does it mean, look at my heart? You know, you rip it open, look at the valves. and all. No, he's not talking about that. What is your heart in the perspective of the Lord? It's your spirit. Absolutely. That's correct. It's your spirit. Don't think that our spirit is always aligned with our will. Because it's not. Now, they go down a pathway. Your will will choose to go down a pathway maybe your spirit would not have. And then we pay a price for that. But that's the only thing that I could think of as to why David not only was heralded in his time, but for all time. (laughs) I mean, you go to Israel now and... Who is one of the most revered? They say it all the time. David. David, this guy who cheated on his wife, murdered to get another wife, you know, heralded. Wow, thank you, Lord, that you forgive. And thank you that when he was confronted, he realized his sin and he asked forgiveness. It just shows how relationship with the Lord can move and can grow even when we make poor choices. But the thing that astounds me the most is David's perspective. Right? I already quoted Psalm 27, 4, which was his desire. My desire, Lord, is to be in your house. That's it. Just be in your house. Just commune with you. Just be with you. Now, by the way, you've got to recognize there was no temple at that time. Right? It was the tabernacle. His, his whole desire was just to be in proximity to the Lord, to talk with the Lord. That was his whole desire. But then I want to read to you, because we sang about it in that last song, I want to read to you his perspective on life. Because this one is needed today. 
I want you to go ahead and turn to Psalm 23. We all know this. This is something that David wrote, giving his perspective on life. He declared, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. By the way, that doesn't mean he doesn't want his shepherd. (laughs) It means I won't be in lack. I will not be in want. Why? Because the Lord's my shepherd. Just as David provided everything he needed, the sheep needed for his sheep that he would shepherd over, the Lord presides over his flock and gives them everything he needs. So he says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in lack. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. What does the shepherd do there? A shepherd knows when his sheep have needs. It says, he led them by the still waters. Jesus knows the needs that we have. Verse 3, he restores my soul. He restores my mind. He restores what the enemy tries to steal. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. For his name's sake. Now notice there it doesn't say he chained my hands, dragged me along to the place of righteousness. (laughs) Right here, there's an indication that there's a choice. He leads us. He leads us. If we don't follow, we cannot blame the Lord. Because he leads us down a path which would take us to the still waters that we need for that nourishment. To the fields that we can rest in or eat in, if you will, according to this scenario. To how the Lord provides. But he leads. We have to choose then to follow. And he does all of it for his own name's sake. Now this is, verse 4 is where we start to get his perspective on life. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Okay, now wait a second, David. When did you write this? Was it maybe, maybe he wrote it before he fought Goliath? No. Okay, maybe he... Maybe he did it before he became king and had to do all those, all all that warfare. No. It was through the experience of his life that he was able to write this and to say that this is what he believes. 
Because, see, David led a very violent life. Today, we would probably call him a violent man. God did. God said, you cannot build the temple because you're a violent man. You're a man of war. He said, but your son will build it. And so David did all he could. He put, put everything together for Solomon to do it. He said, well, at the very least, let me do that. So he was a man of war, a man of consequence, a man not afraid not only to send his warriors to battle, but to go himself. Do you know there, came, there was a point in his life where he was always on the battlefield. And I'm talking about even as king. Before that, he had his 600 men. I mean, he fought for his life everywhere he went. That was just his life. And, and it's really interesting to read about some of these escapades. You know, about the 30 men around him, about the three in particular. One who killed a thousand men in a single battle. One person. This is, this is not, you know, some extraordinary person. You know, maybe he had an Iron Man suit or something. He's a warrior. But he was a warrior for God. I mean, that's why I think it's so funny that these, you know, John Wick films, they come out and it was so groundbreaking. It's like, yeah, I, you know, he kills like two, three hundred people in a film. And I'm like, yeah, that's been done. <laughs> like in real life, that's been done. You know, in a single battle, I mean, John Wick had a few days, sometimes a few weeks. Now, these men were men of war. It was a nation at war. And yet, he writes this. You make me lie down in green pastures. You lead me beside still waters. Kill, slash, hack. As I lay in peace in the green meadows, slash, stab, throw the spear. You know, when you really think about David's life, it doesn't compute. Except his heart. Because peace is not in the external. Peace is not in the place in which we stand. Peace is only found in our relationship with him. And that's also where safety is found. You've heard it said, the safest place you can be is in the Lord's will. I know when... When Alex went to Nigeria the first time, she, and she shared this many times, but she, she fought the Lord because of what it was, of the violence and how difficult and all these things. And the Lord said, well, I'll tell you what, my safety is going to be there. My safety for you is going to be there, whether you're there or not. And so praise God, she went. Why? Because... When we're in His will, we sit in His safety. What He wants is for us to realize this paradigm that kills the enemy. And by the way, 
It has never happened yet on a corporate level, ever. If it had, the enemy would be gone, would be done, would be in the abyss. It's never happened. But the cool thing about reading a prophetic book is you can see what God says is going to happen, and then you can see how it happened, and then adapt that to your life. That's what he said in Revelation chapter 12, where he said, he talked about Satan being overcome, about Satan being defeated. How was he defeated? By the blood of the Lamb which Jesus paid, it is finished, it is done. But then, that wasn't all of it. It was by the word of their testimony. And then the one that most people just kind of leave off, and they cared not about their life even unto death. Those are three ingredients, three ingredients Needed to defeat the enemy on a global scale. Because that's what it says in Revelation 12, that he'll be bound. That the enemy all throughout the earth will be bound. We can read that prophetically and, oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Okay, look back and see how it happened. You had people willing to step onto the battlefield in unity together, not caring about what happens to them. How do you think any nation wins a war? They know that they're going to lose lives. They know that there's going to be a cost. But the cost is not nearly as great as the victory that is won by that cost. That's the same thing as Revelation 12. The same exact thing. When we see the potential of the enemy being bound, I mean, imagine what that would look like. Imagine if, the, if there, because I, by the way, I believe and I know the Bible even teaches, we are coming to this place in the reading of the bride. Not in the thousand year reign, and man, I, I was reading a, a person who, who I've known for years, and they've just gone down a real deep, deep, dark side. They think they believe the Lord, they don't. They think the thousand year reign is already behind us, and all of this, and I don't recall a, a lion ever looking at a lamb, or or and not seeing it as a nice little snack, right? Let alone for a thousand years. But but the thing is, Jesus paid his part. We have to pay ours. And it can't just be a few. It can't just be one or two. Because we've had that in the past. One, it has to be God's timing, which I think if you really dive into Scripture, that one's pretty obvious. But it has to be a remnant of people unified in that Revelation 12.10. 
that they cared not about their life even unto death. Now, by the way, that doesn't mean that you're frivolous with your life. That's not what I'm talking about. I I don't mean that I'm just going to, you know, run into a satanic church and just start yelling at everybody. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about letting the Lord lead you to do. Now, if he tells you to do that, by all means, give me a call. (laughs) Be there with you. But the Lord has to tell you to do it. And then, don't be afraid. Do you know what stops people, good people? Fear. What could have stopped David running out to meet Goliath? I mean, he, he didn't even hesitate. The Bible said he ran. Now, I don't know. I would love to just sit down and talk with him and, and dive into where his mind was at because he was full of faith knowing that the Lord could and potentially would do something. He claimed it. But it's still faith. God did not possess him. Say, David, you just go to sleep for a minute. I'm going to jump in your body and I'm going to go and kill Goliath. David had to work through the process of that. And that's how it applies to us today in everything that we do. Because fear will be at the door. It always is. There is almost nothing greater that the enemy uses to begin to get access and authority to us. Except fear. Fear is simple. Fear is reactive. Fear in today's day and age is acceptable. That's why Satan goes after little kids. Because even in the wrong that's done to them, if they react in fear, which of course they're going to, he has a door to begin to take authority in their lives. And you find that it it lasts up through adulthood. Fear does not go away until you make it go away. Because we find fear everywhere. Now, here in the U.S., as adults, we mask it sometimes. Sometimes we call it prudence. Sometimes we call it wisdom. Well, you know what? It's, it's maybe not smart to go and do this. You know, I, I remember when we went to that rally, uh, you know, uh, and it was an anti-abortion rally where we knew abortion people, their rally was going to be there too and whatever, and it was going to be whatever. See, it would be prudent to say, well, you know what, maybe we shouldn't get there. Let's wait till they're done with theirs and then we'll do ours and, you know, let the people decide. 
That's not prudence. It's fear. Prudence would be, I'm running at my enemy. He's about to swing at me with a sword. Should I step left or should I step right? As I sidestep him and swipe him with my sword. That's prudence. You know, I'm not saying don't think through everything. Think through things. But recognize fear and call it out. Because the Bible says fear is a spirit. Fear hides in many, many different ways. Sometimes fear hides in the mask of mercy. That's a tough one. That's a really tough one because we say, well, yeah, but God wouldn't. And hold your breath. God wouldn't what? Because when we come to a time of cleansing, we, when we come to a time of justice, which is what the Lord has said we're in a time of, then He's going to say some things that to our flesh may not make sense, may seem unfair, may seem heavy. I just thank God I'm not the judge. He is. He sees the end from the beginning. Our responsibility is to move forward and not allow fear to be a part of it. However, love is supposed to be. And that's where it gets a little messed up with the whole mercy thing. Because, see, we deem mercy as love. If you think that, then you better call God an unloving God. Because what did he do to Jericho? By the way, all the inhabitants... The little children. The animals. Wait a second. The animals didn't do anything. How unfair. You've got this little kid, six months old. They didn't do anything. They didn't know. They didn't have choice. And yet, the Lord said to take them all out. Man, that's a hard thing to preach. You don't hear preachers talking about that. That's why they like to dwell in the Gospels. Well, you know, Jesus changed all that with this hope and, 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 and all of this. I, I'm sorry, I read David and David had hope. David was long before Jesus. David was longing for the Messiah. Literally, it was prophesied that it would come through his line. So he never got to experience the Messiah. But he had hope. He had so much hope that he can lay in green fields while he's slashing up some enemy. That's hope. <laughs> That's like crazy hope. Man, alive, if, if, if Hollywood would get smart, they could make some really incredible movies. <laughs> exactly. I mean, the literal of the Bible is more than Hollywood has ever even thought of. And yet there was peace. 
I say all this because what we're going into, and even in, in the pre-waves of it, is something that none of us have ever faced before, ever. I say that because it's something the world has never faced before, ever. The Lord has said that. Now, you know how a hurricane works? You have this hurricane that swirls around, and, and as it moves, right, you go out to the furthest ripples, and that's where you start to get a sense of, okay, something's changing. You ever see the, the movie The Perfect Storm? What a good movie. They were going out, and they started to see these ripples, and that was when they had a chance to turn back right then. Now, I want to equate this with our calling, if you will, in this war. They could have turned back right then and had been safe. But they would have lost the chance at keeping everything that he had worked for. And if you haven't seen the movie, I apologize. You have no clue what I'm talking about. So they went forward, moving, moved in. And by the way, this is a true story, moved into the perfect storm. This was where three large storm cells converged. And this little boat, this little fishing boat was caught in the middle of it even right then, and I want you to equate this to warfare, even right then they had a choice. They could have pushed through and made it. But they didn't. That's when they decided to turn back. When it got rough. When the waves got huge. They decided, okay, we, we got to turn back now and, and just, just hope. And they turned back and got nowhere. And then what'd they do? Turn back again. Okay, well, you know what? We're going to have to go and, and, and try and go through this like we were going to do before. But they didn't have the fuel for it. They didn't have the power for it. It was that indecision that cost them their lives. Indecision is bred out of fear. When we are indecisive, it means we either don't know that it's the Lord's will and you better spend some time on your knees with him. But when you know it's something that you're supposed to do, when you know it's something that the Lord wants and you are in His will, you cannot be indecisive. Well, I know you called me to do this, but yet now I'm starting to hit these waves. And I don't know how to deal with this. Like, these aren't, these aren't little, you know... 
10-foot waves, 15-foot waves. These are, these are 40, 50, 60-foot waves. You know, how, how do you do that? I've been on the ocean with 25-foot waves. My, my dad was freaking out pretty good. I just thought it was fun. I, I was up front, hanging off the front of the boat, thinking it was like a roller coaster. He had no idea I was up there. We were on one of those fishing boats. He had no idea I was up there. But you know, when it gets out of control and you realize it's out of control, see, I had no idea. I figured, that's a boat. There's a captain. He comes out here all the time. I'm good. I'm with my friend. We're hanging out. If I had known the trouble that we were actually in, then I would have had to have a a decision I had to make. Am I going to let fear drive me? These guys in the movie The Perfect Storm, fear drove their decisions that went back and forth too many times. It cost them time. It cost them fuel. It cost them the literal things that would have saved their lives. What he impressed on me this morning is really about a family talk, if you will. We know what we're going into. We may not know the detailed strokes of it. But we know the broad strokes of what we're stepping into. He's, he's told it all to us. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know... You know, if somebody's going to come and break your door down or anything like that. But we do know that we're going to eventually be invaded, especially here on the East Coast. We do know that the enemy is trying to do things that God will not allow them to be able to fully do in the realm of pestilence like they did with COVID. We've seen all this. We know all this. So we have to be more concerned with what the Lord wants us to do than what's the enemy doing. You know, when a, when a covert team goes on an op, what do they do beforehand? They prepare. They prepare over and over and over again. They look at every scenario. They figure everything that they would have to be aware of, everything they would have to potentially deal with. Why did they do that beforehand? Because they can't when they're on the battlefield. When they're on the battlefield, they have a goal. And then they have scenarios that they have worked through that they follow. And when they hit a snag or hit something that they weren't expecting or something happens that they didn't expect, they adjust to it, but it doesn't change the plan. doesn't change the goal. That's where we are as a church. And I mean global church. That's where we are as a remnant. He has been preparing us for a long time. We have been on this battlefield in little excursions 
for a long time, but there is coming a confrontation that is no longer preparatory. We're stepping into that. I don't know when it is. I expect it every day. Because it's not just one thing. It's like a barrage of things. Do you remember when, some of you may not, but some of you young, younger people, but you guys remember when, we, when uh, Bush went after Iraq? And it was like the first, I don't even remember, it might have been the first seven days or whatever it was, they called it shock and awe. All it was was bombing. All it was was softening up the encased defenses of Iraq. See, be prepared because that's what the enemy is going to attempt to do. Why? Because he knows. Just like we do. We, we live in the physical world, right? We are looking for things to materialize here. We know things that have already happened in the Spirit. We know what victories we have had in the Spirit. We know all these things in the Spirit, and yet we're waiting for them to materialize now in His kingdom coming here. You know what I'm saying? Recognize the enemy has the same trouble with communication. Because you have the spirit on the enemy's side. And by the way, this took me a long time to figure out. Because I kept thinking, in my mind I kept thinking, well, the enemy is the enemy. Man, they're really organized in all this. No. The physicality of the enemy has the same problem we do. They have to live by faith. Their faith is just in the wrong thing. So what they step forward in what they're about to do, they're stepping forward in this faith of this shock and awe against mankind, but God. See, that's why there's a courtroom in heaven over the nations. Because it's in that courtroom, it's decided who wins. Guess what? We've already won. And when I say we, I mean God's people. They have already won. It's just not manifested to the enemy yet. I think there are people on the enemy's side. Even even in the natural, I think people that are beginning to realize this is not going how we planned. In fact, there's potential here to lose everything. Yeah, they're going to. They're going to lose everything. But when we see it, don't let fear in. If you see China go against Taiwan, now that probably wouldn't bother you, it's 14-hour flight to get there. But if all the signs are up that 
Delaware is their landing spot. Don't let fear get to you. Don't. Why? Because God's just bringing them to the confrontation. The Lord said a couple of years ago, said to us, He said, I will gather all my enemies on a single shore and destroy them at once. Believe it or don't, but God said it. So you know what? Now that could be a metaphor. Or there could be some physical truth to that. I kind of like to think that if there's physical truth to that, man, then bring them all to Delaware. Bring them all here. We have a shore. We have a shore. It's about an hour south of my house. Bring them all there. And then just watch what the Lord does. But don't be afraid. See, because it's easy to sit here and on these nice, comfortable chairs and we actually have carpet and everything and be comfortable and talking about all this stuff and everything else. But what if a Chinese soldier comes and knocks on your door and puts a gun in your face? Then what? I mean, you're pretty much at the mercy of whatever they do unless you want to just sacrifice your life. Don't let fear in. Look at how many people in the Word of God had to deal with that. Paul, oh my goodness. I mean, it's almost like he, he spent more time in prison than he did on the mission field. And, and, and by the way, this isn't a nice, cushy U.S. prison. This is a prison where he's beaten. Where he isn't given food. Where he sleeps on the floor. Not a pillow. <laughs> pillow, come on. But he wasn't afraid. To agree with fear is not to have fear come against you. I want to make that very clear. To give in to fear means it stops what you do. Or it alters, <coughs> excuse me, it alters what God is doing in your life. That's when you give in to fear. It doesn't mean that, that you're not, you know, let, let's say that, that the Chinese government did invade. And we, it, believe it or not, we've actually talked about this as a court team quite a bit. Because half the court team is north of 95, or I should say probably north of the canal, and the rest are south of the canal. So if they come, what are they going to do? I mean, they don't care, care about Delaware. They care less, except for Dover Air Force Base, which that'll be taken out right away. They'll either take it over or take it out, one or the other. They don't care about our farmland. They don't care about our homes or anything else. 
What they care about is access. So they're going to control 95. So now all of a sudden our church is kind of split. And we've talked about what does that look like? You know, if, if Chinese come and invade and you're stuck by yourself, seek us out. Come to our house. Come to Jeff and Bryn's house. Sorry if I invited them for you guys. <laughs> Why? Not that you can't take care of things on your own, but there is power in unity. There is power in unity. Don't walk in fear. Walk in His will. Doesn't mean you can't be facing fear. Because if the Lord told us, yeah, I, I need you to go up and get to Jeff and Bryn's house because they need this or they need that. By the way, that's why I have a truck like I have. It was an excuse, I know, sorry. Okay, so if I'm driving, I have to trust, Lord, you'll get me there. Lord, you'll get me there. You'll show me. As I'm going through a checkpoint, you'll, you'll either blind their eyes or you'll do something. I have to trust. It doesn't mean I can't feel those butterflies in my stomach. That is, think of that as the temptation of fear. doesn't mean you're gonna, not going to feel it. You are. That's the temptation of fear. But it can't alter what you're doing. If God has you here, and you know they're going to invade the East Coast, maybe even in Delaware itself, doesn't mean that you move to Montana. Live up in the mountains. I mean, as much as I would like to. See, that would be a reaction of fear. No, I mean, honestly, what you do is you say, Lord, you have promised to put a banquet table before me in the presence of my enemies. What does that look like? What do you want me to do? Because I don't just have a responsibility for myself. I have a responsibility to my church family, to the people that I'm a part of as your children. So what do you want me to do? I will not sit here in fear. I will trust you in whatever it is that you want. If you want me to walk out and you go down, you know, have to pass some checkpoint or whatever, I trust you to get me through. And he'll do it. How many stories have we seen? Miraculous stories where people... I mean, I have heard stories about missionaries that go through a checkpoint like that or go through a point and they were never even seen. You just can't be afraid. You have to know that God has a way to facilitate His will when He tells you His will. You're just supposed to step in it. No matter what, the enemy changes. 
And believe me, there's a lot of change coming. I don't even know what that looks like. I, I, I know that there's a lot of people prepping and all this stuff. And, I, I mean, the Lord hasn't laid that on my heart. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. He, he just has not laid that on my heart. And I just keep saying, tell me what manna tastes like. I'm good with that. Manna, I mean, it said it was kind of honey made. You know, I don't know. I don't, I don't have much of a sweet tooth. Maybe if it tastes like a chip. Put a little salt on it. But either way, either way, God will take care of it. You know, I don't know about you, but I want to be in the situation where he has to come through miraculously. I've been in that situation different times. Many of you have as well. But we're about to be as a body. Because that's the only avenue to victory. He's not going to fight this war without us. Because we are the material side of this war. Satan has his material side. God has his material side. If you don't believe me, just go turn to Genesis chapter 3, where it said, your seed will hate her seed. Her seed will hate your seed. Talking to Satan. There's already amnity between it. The war is inevitable. The war, the war has happened in the past, but the finality of war is upon us. And for the first time in history, we have all the ingredients to conquer and to be victors. For the first time in history. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And I'm not saying don't think about it. Because it's one thing to just have your mind, you know, I'll just keep my mind in la-la land. And just, yes, Lord, I'll be good, I'll be good. Then all of a sudden you get barraged with these things. And, oh man, I wasn't expecting that. It was, that was way more than I expected. And you crumble and you fall. That's why the SEAL teams plan. That's what God has been doing in us I mean, literally for years, but especially the last six to nine months, telling us the eminence of what is coming. It's for the purpose of planning. He has laid this out. Not necessarily laying out, here's exactly how it'll go, and when you get here, make a left, and get here, make a right, and there, you know. He's not doing that because he wants us to operate in faith. Do you know when a SEAL team goes out and they become operational, they're led over comms by the leader. Jesus is our comm leader. He will direct our paths. And the only thing the enemy will have to fight with is fear. I mean, literally, 
think about that, really boil down that thought. What is there to be afraid of? Losing our life? I mean, okay. Are we really afraid of losing our life? I I would venture to say probably not if we recognize that we're saved and our life means being with Jesus. Right? If we really believe that, then then the fear of dying is probably not what we're really afraid of. We're probably more afraid of the process. We're more afraid of the process of that death. Well, this can certainly apply in war, but it applies in life, too. We're so afraid of maybe what may happen when we engage here and engage there or we go to this or go to that, even when God is calling us to. But we're, we're afraid because, well, the, the enemy could do this or could do that, so it stops us from doing it. Do you see, that? that's not about life or death. But it's still about our pain. If we gauge our life by our pain, we're doomed. If Paul gauged his life by his pain, he never would have had the life he had. We wouldn't have the books that were written through him by the Holy Spirit that we have. If he had gauged his life through pain. You know what I like to think of? Because the Lord has shown me, I mean, early on, I, I don't know if it stopped or what, but I, I had many visions about being abducted and beaten. I had very clear visions of them taking my eyes out. And this was when the Lord told me I'd be abducted in, in Nigeria. And they did try, and you guys all know that that story and all that. But I had these visions that this was going to happen. So I, I had to deal with that. Okay. What does that really feel like? And I know this sounds silly, but I thought through it with the Lord. And I thought, okay. Okay, if Satan does that, then what do I get? Because... You are an honorable God, and I am your child. And he wouldn't take it because he had a right to. He'd take it by stealing, so what do I get? I literally asked the Lord that. And the Lord said that what I would have sight, clear sight in the Spirit. So then I'm thinking in my mind, heck yeah. I, go ahead. Take my, take my eyes. Whatever pain that means, the enemy has no idea what will come against him if he does that. So in going back, with the, back and forth with the Lord, I came to a place that, okay, whatever. That's where we need to be in this. It doesn't mean that we're all going to be facing these things. In fact, probably very few would. 
doesn't mean that. But in the preparation of getting on the battlefield, you still have to have that conversation with the Lord and don't be afraid. Why did I have that conversation with the Lord? So I wouldn't be afraid. So when the time came, okay, you know, good luck after you do this. I, 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 would, I would rehearse things, sayings in my mind that I would say to them. Like, you just have no idea what you're doing. You're going to really regret this. Go ahead. You know, there's another thing, too, when it comes to pain that I love. Start holding on to Scripture. What happened when Stephen was stoned to death? He didn't writhe in pain. In fact, he was put in a place of seeing the Lord. I mean, he, he just, it says in the scripture, he lit up. He glowed with the glow of the Father right there. With a smile on his face. So see, God also has the capability of taking the pain away. That's not just Tylenol's job. God can do it. Don't be afraid of the pain. You know what? If you want to be afraid of something, be afraid for the status quo that has been there for almost 6,000 years. Be afraid of that. Be afraid of what our country has come to and what it stands for. Be afraid that you are part in your association as a citizen of the United States. You are a part of those abortions. That's a tough thought. Because we don't believe in abortion. But yet, we still live under the covering of a nation who does. There's a different covering coming out. Okay, I will. (laughs) Oh, some of the positions he puts me in. Oh, goodness gracious. We are, have been, under a covering of these United States. But no longer are we under that covering. Certainly in the spirit, but it's about to manifest on the earth. About three months ago, the Lord had me take down my American flag and put up an ignition flag. And that symbolized something. I didn't tell anybody else. I don't think I even told Alexis. It symbolized something. It symbolized what the Lord was going to do. 
See, the Lord has told us, remember, ignition is not ours. To be really clear, ignition is not a name. Ignition 633 is not a name that we thought up and and this is cool and, you know, this will be our church and, you know, God bless this. No, this was what he did. He came up with the name. He told me a long time ago he is dissolving all of the denominations in the bride. And, I mean, just take this before the Lord. He told me that all of the readied bride would be under ignition. Now, you have to understand what that means. I am not saying that all of the readied bride will be under a human control. What I am saying is that ignition is his, and he can put in it whom he wants. But there is coming a time where ignition is separate from the United States. I can't fully explain this. When I was asking the Lord about it, when he first told me that, I said, what? I said, you know, we have to live on this earth. And he said, well, the way that even the nations are was never his will. It is all supposed to be under him. Even a nation has a choice if they're not under him, they can do their own thing, but then they pay a price. You look at the thousand-year reign, it will be that way. If, if in the thousand-year reign, if they do not give their worship and their tithes and their offerings to Jerusalem, then they don't get rain. That's what it says. Lord told me it will be much the same in the foreshadowing of that rain in what he's doing with his bride. He said, now in a physical sense, if you want to understand it, he said, look at the Vatican. The Vatican owns land here in the United States that the United States does not own. In fact, it's the point of leadership in the United States. I find that interesting. But it's not just the United States. It's England as well, which is where all this kind of started. That whole area that came out of Rome when Rome dismantled. That's, that's when you had these certain nations rise up. Your Germany, Italy, uh, Spain, England. They all came out of Rome. So the Vatican owns a one square mile Peace in downtown London that is the wealthiest place on earth. It's where all the world banks are. Okay, he, he, London doesn't own that. England doesn't own that. Vatican owns that. A religious, according to the United States, or according to the world, a religious organization owns that. A religious organization charges rent in America for the leadership 
of America to lead itself. I'm sorry. That's dumb. But you know what's cool? Is the Lord said, yeah, but they set up the scenario. So I will do that through my ignition. I'm going to leave it there because he's not making me say any more. But understand, the times in which we live are not ordinary. The warriors he's building in us are not ordinary. It is to take this world for him so that his kingdom will manifest here. That is no small thing. And if there's one thing you can't be, if you're going to be a part of that, is afraid. Feel fear. Feel fear. That's fine. Don't let it stop you. When you begin to feel fear, unify. Oh, man. Unify. Because the, the enemy's afraid of that. Throw that fear right back at him. And just know that there is power in that unity. There is power in those prayers. Even though sometimes externally we may not feel it. Ask the Lord. Say, Lord, let me see in your kingdom what's really going on. This fight, I'm resisting this fear. I'm stepping where you want me to step. I'm resisting this, but help me to see what you're doing, what you're accomplishing, because if I see that you're doing it in your spirit, I know it will manifest in my life because I stand in agreement with it. Just because it's the spirit doesn't mean it's less power. In fact, it's just the opposite of that. There is more power in the Spirit. That's why Satan uses the Spirit to try and convey fear to us and that we need to change course. Don't be afraid. That's where this family right here is going to become very important to you. Very important to all of us. Because when these things do come against us, which is any moment. We're not supposed to step out of the fight. In fact, that's when the enemy is exposing himself to where we can know where to shoot. And we know the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. If you don't think, if there's a platoon of, of soldiers sitting out, front of your house banging on your door and it's the Lord's will for for them not to get you, one of two things is going to happen. They're, they're going to leave not knowing you were there or they're all not going to leave. Yeah, I, I don't know and I don't really care. But if the Lord has called you to do something, He said what He is going to do through you, you agree in faith with that, then know it will happen. Don't be afraid. And no matter what. I, I know originally, Wendy, I, I was going to have you 
you know, put it out to the court team and then put that thing on God's squad. Just put it on God's squad. She showed me this this uh, video before, and and I, it's nothing that we haven't seen yet. It, it it's a it's another pastor. I assume he's a pastor or something. Um, who the Lord had given him a vision, and in this vision, the Lord said to anoint your house. You know, in in preparation for something coming, and and the urgency was what struck my mind. He said, "Don't wait, do it, do it." Now, what I can tell you is it's not about the anointing. It's not about the physicality of that. If the Lord tells you to anoint your house, anoint your house. I've anointed mine. We did our four corners years ago. I can't remember. We pray over our development. The Lord has told me to release warring angels over our development. I've been doing that every day for a long time. Enemy can't get through that. So it's it's not about, well, this pastor says to do this. It's about when you go before the Lord, what is the Lord telling you to do? And and so I do want her to share it because the urgency of it is what struck my mind and struck my heart. The urgency is to know this is upon us. And I don't know about you, like, this doesn't rise fear in me. I am excited. I am excited. You know, and, and I got to be honest with you. If, if I saw if I saw these planes flying overhead and all these paratroopers coming out, I would get excited. Why? Because I, I know the calling on my life. The Lord has already shown me my death, and it's not there. I don't have to worry about it. I have to be a warrior with what he wants me to be. And why am I excited about that? Because of what's coming. Can you imagine? I mean, let's not even say the world. Let's just say the United States. For that matter, let's just say Delaware. Can you imagine a free Delaware? And I'm not talking about free like you can vote. Clearly that didn't help. I'm talking about freedom from the real enemy. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the enemy not having any influence in business? Any influence in politics? Any influence at all? Can you imagine that they're not even be an enemy to have that influence with? I mean, imagine that for the whole world. That's what we're fighting for. That's what's literally at our fingertips. What God wants to do and what he's called to do. And and for the first time in history said he is doing. Not like when he told Daniel, yeah, I'm going to be doing this, but it's a long way away. Now he's told us it's imminent. What he's doing is now. So don't be afraid. Let's come on up. One of the reasons we have been preaching since day one about personal relationship with Jesus is so that when the Lord has Greg 
say things he's reluctant to say because they sound um, either absurd, extreme, crazy, or arrogant, that you can then hear from the Lord yourself. This is not about um, following a something that the Lord is saying and expecting that you just hook, line, and sinker, take it in. The Holy Spirit of God will release a personal word to you and will speak to you in confirmation and in revelation. And so I find it interesting the times in which we live are times in which you have to be, um, you, you're going to be given more information to to take in and to be responsible for. And when something is released, you are responsible to go before the Lord. Because everything you hear, even if you've heard it before, everything we hear brings a choice before us every time. I don't care how common it is to hear Psalm 23 again. You're receiving a choice. Yes, I believe this. I'm going to let this word become food for me to transform my life. I'm going to let this word totally transform me and not return void, or I'm going to flatly reject it. There isn't, um, there isn't a place to just kind of hang out. Um, you might think so because your, your conscious mind is like pondering it. You know, I'm not saying you don't because you're thinking, okay, whoa, maybe for some of you. Maybe some of you, that he said nothing new. For others, you might be thinking, okay, I don't quite understand. What did he just say about ignition? What is it? So really go before the Lord and understand what he is saying. And um, sometimes things are said at face value, like every church, obviously. Every, everybody should say that what they're doing in ministry is not their own. But when we said ignition is not ours, it wasn't thought up by us. We were in other ministries just going along, doing what we thought. I had a whole five-year plan for my women's ministry at the time, and then the Lord just drops the bomb of this is what I want to do, and he calls them out. And I think so often of what Moses faced and um, what he had to fight through in first his inadequacies, and the Lord brought help, right? But then also in trying to convince the people, millions of people that were, a hot mess and and in a hot i mean in their minds but then in absolute turmoil and torture in the things that were the oppression that they were in and yet god chose him whom god chooses we don't know and he is choosing every one of you we've always said that every one of you are called for something and so how how, how did he deal with that by expecting people to believe but he just boldly went in he went before the king he went in even after having to flee. And, I mean, you guys know the story, but try to imagine that in a real-time situation. And, and he led the people out. And, and yet when Jesus refers back to responding to the Pharisees in the New Testament when they said, well, you know, Moses fed our father or fed, uh, fed our, our um, ancestors manna in the wilderness, Jesus said, Moses didn't feed you. My father did. So even Jesus was correcting them. Moses wasn't the one that brought the children of Israel out. It was God that did it. He just appointed a leader. So whatever God is appointing and anointing and ignition, it is God's. And for us to not see that, it will be to our demise personally. 
because it is a very, very heavy thing. Whatever God has called you to, step up and do it. No matter who around you says, who do you think you are? There's a, in the human realm, there's a sadly blurred line between confidence and arrogance. Don't ever let someone's questioning have you doubt who God says you are. That is why we sang that song that Brooke said ought to be on a poster somewhere. Let the I am tell you who I am, you know, instead of everything around you, the prince of the power of the air and the messages that he controls try to tell you who you are. And so so that's where we find ourselves, both in matters of fear but also in matters of, Lord, what is this that you're doing? What is the readying of the bride? What is the unifying of the bride? Even just the concept of the unity of the bride. We don't even understand. We can't even begin to understand it. If we were asked to unify with four other churches within a 10 or 12-mile radius, that would be an insurmountable task. I mean, that would be the biggest task we've ever seen, to actually play well with four other churches in the area. It's like, Lord, okay, am I going to fly out of this, this building? Because that is impossible. And yet the entire bride in the world is going to unify. So obviously God's going to do it. That's not our responsibility to figure out how God's going to do it. It's just to step in what he said. So what was released today, you are responsible to take before the Lord, digest it. Don't push it aside. Don't compartmentalize it. Say, Lord, tell me what is true. You might even have to go back and listen. And say, Lord, is this true? Because we're, we're at a time where you either accept or you reject. There's no middle ground. You do have a choice. And if you reject, you better know why. But if you accept, you better know why. Because if you falsely accept, it will be rejected later. Because you can't just go along to get along. That doesn't exist anymore. So I just really encourage you to do that. And... Um, and again, obviously he injects his personality and his calling into, you know, <laughs> how excited he gets about war coming. But remember, when you know the battle is already won, this is where, because Greg always, we joke about it a lot, but he, he always lives many, many years in the future in terms of where his faith is. Um, try being married to that one. Challenges my faith every day. But it's, um, but I do... I do understand his heart. It's not that he delights in the, the war and all the atrocities that have come with war. He delights in the fact that God has already won. We are victors. We have already, he paid for it. Read Colossians 2. He already, Jesus already publicly shamed the enemy in bringing everything to an end in terms of what he's given us to be walking in victory in. So when you live in that place, which all of us really by faith need to be, then um, you don't have, the, the fear is more easily cast aside, but it also puts you in a different place. Yes, there are things we have to go through, but man, you know, about my horrible time of, you know, Brooke's birthday's coming up, so it's been on my mind. My horrible, horrible 24-hour labor and then three hours pushing, which no doctor doesn't even let you push that long. I mean, it was just awful. If I had just stayed in that place or thought about that kind of pain, rather than thinking about my very first child coming into the world, you know, I had to think. And there was a moment when I just said, can I turn back? Can I turn back? Like it was, it was just like, I don't know that I can do this. I can't do this. Somehow God gets you through. And then what's birthed? is something so amazing. 
And I have delighted in every moment of your life. So, <laughs> so that's where the way God wants us to look at it is, is, hey, he's won the battle. He's won the victory. And whatever we're headed into, he's got us. Breathe. He's going to give us our Lamaze breathing faith to get through every single, every single um, contraction, every single wave of pain and push. I know only the women are tracking with me right now, but so whatever. Some of you men were there. Some of you were put in the waiting room, depending on what decade your children were born. But um, anyway, so let's close in prayer. And, um, and then I have some very important announcements I want to give. Okay, should it be before prayer or no? Okay. Okay, Father, we love you so much, God. Oh, God, you are such a mighty God. Thank you, Jesus, that you are our victor, our advocate, our hope, our help, our comfort, our deliverer, our restorer, our redeemer, our savior, our love. God, you are everything. Thank you. Thank you, God. Apart from you, we can do nothing. I'm so amazed you walked the path so that we could walk the path. And you even said, apart from the Father, you could do nothing. Jesus, you know you were tempted in all points like as we are. And yet you make a way for us to escape every time. That we can just come and exchange our burdens and our struggles. And in exchange for that, place it at your feet and receive rest. Oh, Lord, help us to... Remember the beautiful message even from last week from Jeff just about resting in you. What a place of faith rest is. And we need more of it. So we love you, God. Speak to us clearly about what you're doing, God. It's very difficult when our minds grasp at context and a grid for what it is that we're receiving right now. This truth you're releasing to us. We have no context for it. It is a new thing. Behold, you are doing a new thing, and yet by faith, do we not see it? Do we not perceive it? Oh, God, because it's not going to be by power or by might, certainly in this realm. It'll be by your spirit that we prevail and that your will is done. So I just, I just pray that you would do your will and that every step we would walk each day, each step, not robbing the, the grace and peace from the future as if we don't have it for right now, but walk each day in what we need for the day and then journey through these days into the greatest breakthrough of new that you're about to release of your glory, of your presence, of your power, of the billion soul harvest, of a revival, of resurrections that we have ever seen. God, we are, we're so excited. We can't wait. And yes, we're, we're entering into the birth pains right now. God, keep our mind on what will be birthed, not just on the labor. Because you are with us every breath that we take, even the deep ones. I just love you. I praise you. Do your will in Jesus' name. Amen.